the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour Right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. And we're so pleased that Pete Paquette is here today uh, because without his engineering skills, well, we wouldn't be on the air. And Andrew Herdliska produces the show for us each weekend. And, well, he's produced Jacob Armstrong, who's the pastor of Providence Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, right there in Nashville, near Nashville. Uh, the book is called Breaking Open, How Your Pain Becomes the Path to Living Again. Jacob, welcome to Orlando. How are you? I'm doing great, Pat. Thank you for having me, and I'm looking forward to talking with you and your audience today. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you've got time for us, Jake. Uh, tell me uh, uh, what brought this book about. What's the story here? Yeah, I've, I have been a pastor for almost 20 years. I started when I was 19 years old, but I've been the pastor of Providence for about 14 years. It was a church my wife and I started mm. just outside of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so we really have a heart for pe- seeing people who feel disconnected from God and the church uh, connect with Jesus and find the life and, and hope that is that is found only in Him. So this book comes out of, uh, you know, a couple of decades of ministry and just seeing that one thing that's common to everyone is pain. You know, some something that they didn't expect that would happen, some loss some grief, and actually that God uh, is not absent from us in that, but, but but it's in that moment that we really get the opportunity to experience the fullness of life. Jacob, your introduction is called Breathing and Crying. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, one thing, again, that's common to all of us is breathing, and so I, I, I talk a little bit about how um, that one of the first things that we are expected to do is breathe. And uh, if we don't uh, cry when we're born, there's someone there usually who will help us to cry. So that cry is our first breath. It's a kickstart to the lungs and gets us going. And then we're set off on this journey of life where we're uh, expected to breathe, but crying becomes a little uh, less important. We don't talk about it as much. And so I, I talk about in that first chapter that there are moments in life when we really need a good cry. And it's not so much about, you know, crying like a baby, but a connection back to that heart condition that's saying, I need help and I need God. Um, I had an experience when I was a young pastor, really just starting out, and one of the first young people that I was uh, ministering with uh, took his own life, mm. his suicide. And I was the last person that he ever talked to. Um, he actually walked out of uh, walked out of my house and, and, um, and took his life that night. And that, uh, for me as a 22-year-old pastor, 
crushed me. I actually felt like I'd probably squandered my chance to, to be someone that could, that could help people. And in my journey through that grief, I came to a moment. I was actually in Arizona. I'd run away to my brother's house. And uh, I found myself on a hike, and I just began to cry again. I, don't, I couldn't remember the last time I had cried. And there was something in that cry where God met me and restored to me a hope that I could be uh, someone that could be used by Him. So I've seen that over and over in people's lives um, where we put a lot of emphasis on breathing in life, but there is a cry of the heart that connects us with God that I think is essential. Jacob Armstrong is our guest. Jake, you you open your book with breaking open, not breaking down. Uh, can you explain that to us? Absolutely. That's really the whole premise of this book is that sometime in life or multiple times for most of us, we're going to come to a place that um, a lot is described commonly as a breakdown. Uh, and you see a lot of these in the Bible. Uh, Nehemiah is one that, that I'm reminded of. Uh, the book of Nehemiah starts with, Nehem- with Nehemiah on the ground praying and fasting and mourning, so or crying. And, and so that, that sounds like a, a breakdown to me, Pat. <laughs> you know, a guy's on the ground, he's not eating, and he's crying. But what we see in Nehemiah is that instead of it being a breakdown for him, it's actually a breaking open. He allows himself to be open to God and open to God using him, even in his brokenness. He was upset about the condition of his nation, of his city, the people of God. So even today, as many of us might grieve or be um, upset about the condition of our nation, of our people, it's not, a, it's not a time for the people of God to go down or to push ourselves down, but to actually be open to God. So Nehemiah ends up restoring Jerusalem, building, rebuilding a wall, and restoring the people. And so I think all of us come to moments where we could break down, but Jesus is calling us to a breaking open. Other biblical characters, uh, we see this as well. Esther is at this um, critical moment for, again, the nation, for her people. And she could just have given up and said, I'm a person who's going to be persecuted, but instead she uses that. She says, for such a time as this, she breaks open, I believe, to God. Saul is another great example. Uh, before he had the name Paul, He's on the ground in the Damascus Road, uh, blinded by a light, and he uses that moment of brokenness where he had been persecuting the church to turn him instead towards being one of the greatest church planters and, of course, the main author of most of uh, the New Testament. And in our normal lives, we come to these places uh, that oftentimes feels like depression or the loss of a child, cancer, uh, loneliness, emptiness, loss. And we can, we could just allow it to be, that's our breakdown, my breakdown moment. But I'm doing a little bit of turn on that language to say, what would it look like to break open, be invited more into the presence of God, and let Jesus do a work in the brokenness? Because, of course, that's what Jesus does on the cross. He suffers and gives himself, opens himself, so that we can all have life. And I think that's available to all, all people. Tell me about uh, topic number two, space not pace. What's that mean? Yeah, I don't know about you, Pat, but most of the time uh, when we're coming to these places in life where a lot of difficult things are happening, um, we think that it's, it's probably a time to, to pick up the pace, to do more, um, to, to achieve more, or just to do things to try to fix it. And I think the, the Bible and the, 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 um, the experience of walking and following Christ is more of one of finding space not just increasing the pace. So, like I said, I've been a pastor to many people for years now, 
and I get the chance um, to sit with people who are dying, who are having their last breaths. I've done that hundreds of times now. And what I have found is that what people talk about so often is not, um, you know, crushing it at their job or moving from middle management to senior leadership at the firm. Um, it's not, they don't really talk about possessions. What they talk about are moments in life where space was created for them to uh, have beautiful things, simple things like a vacation with a family or, uh, you know, a moment at the Braves game. I'm a huge Braves fan, Pat. I don't know if I told you that. <laughs> um, uh, or, or these these moments where you are with the people you love, with the God you love. And so as I sit with people who are dying, uh, I want to encourage those of us who aren't in that place yet to think about how can we create space in our lives to really live, not just pick up the pace over, um, over and over and over again. And so for most of us to do that, it's going to... Um, require an interruption of our current pace, and life is pretty good at that. Life has a way of, of uh, kind of making that happen for us. So some interruption happens, and that's a moment where we can intentionally create some space. For me, it happened, Pat, I was 36 years old. I have three little girls, and at the time, I was sitting on my front porch, and my youngest, Phoebe, came out on the front porch, and she said to me, hey, Dad, do you want to play? And I said, no, and she turned around and walked away. Now, we've all said no to our kids. Uh, when they ask us to play. But in that moment, I realized my treasure is this little girl, and I don't even have the space, the energy um, to give uh, to her, my treasure, uh, what I really want to give. And so that began a journey for me of thinking, how can I create more space in my life to actually do the things that become memories that at the end of my life, I will say, hey, I remember that moment with my child when this happened. Space, not pace. Jacob Armstrong is with us from uh, the Nashville area. Breaking Open, the name of the book. Okay, Jacob, <clears throat> rising up, not hunkering down. What's up here? Uh, you know, it's a tendency for all of us, and, you know, we're coming out of two years that have been really difficult in our nation and our in our world, and at least initially when the pandemic hit, right, we all sort of hunkered down. But I think we can do that emotionally and spiritually and, and relationally as well. So there was a story in the Bible, Pat, that really captivated my attention. It's the story of Gideon. And in the time of Gideon, uh, the people of God were in the Promised Land, but they were hiding out in caves, uh, in clefts, in the rocks, in the cliffs. And uh, were not living the fullness of life that God had for them. It, was, it did not feel like the promised land at all. And so uh, Gideon, Gideon's famous for being a kind of a, a warrior, uh, a man in battle who does great things. We know Gideon about the the fleeces. He puts out these fleeces to test God. But before any of that happens, it says that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Go <laughs> hang with me for a second. Um, Gideon was making uh, wheat or threshing the wheat, separating the wheat, but he was doing it in a wine press. And a wine press in those days was actually a cave or a hole in the ground. So we imagine Gideon down in this rock cave. He's separating wheat, which doesn't sound fun. There's chaff in his mouth. He's choking on that. And the reason he's doing that is because he has to hide out to make his bread because there are people that would take it from him. You're supposed to thresh wheat on a threshing floor up above where people can, uh, where you can do it in a more open space. So he's hunkered down, and it's in that cave that God comes to him, and this is what he says to Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So God speaks a message to Gideon that he's a mighty warrior when he's hiding out, hunkering down in, um, in a wine press. 
So for us, what does that mean for us? <laughs> what does that mean for the normal person? I see that as so many of us as Christians, followers of Jesus, we end up living our lives sort of hunkered down, hiding out, not enjoying the good things that God has for us because of any number of reasons, things that have happened to us, our own fears. But God is calling us mighty warriors, <laughs> even when we're in that place. So that chapter is all about what would it look like uh, to actually rise up and live into the really good things that God has for us. What we usually do, I think, is settle. We settle for less than life with God. Um, we settle for less than the than the good stuff that God has for us. I, I don't know if you remember the old Coca-Cola slogan where it was the real thing. <laughs> and uh, I love a good Coca-Cola. And now there's all these different substitutes for it, which are fine, you know, Diet Coke, Coke Zero. But if we're honest, right, the real thing is, is the best. And I think God has a real life for us. Jesus says he's come to give us more and better life. And, and when we get to live into that, it happens by getting up out of those holes, rising up a bit instead of hunkering down. Jacob, tell us about topic four, desperate, not dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you encounter it, Pat, or those who are listening, but there's a lot of drama in today's world. So uh, there's a lot of drama in the social media realms that many of us interact on. People are really dramatic about all kinds of things. And drama in itself is not bad, and there's certainly times where we need to have, you know, outrage and, and call out things that are wrong. But constant drama will wear us out. And in the, in the walk with Jesus, I think that we're being called um, less to drama and more to desperation. I think we're at a critical time uh, in our culture and in our nation where there's all kinds of people giving answers for what we should and shouldn't do. But anything that we're going to do as followers of Christ has to start with a desperate, um, a desperate aim for Jesus, just coming to Him with all that we are and um, and all that we have. Uh, some some uh, years back, we held a funeral here at our church. It was for a neighboring church, uh, a predominantly African American church, uh, who needed a larger space. And they're our sister church, and we love them. And so we hosted this funeral. Um, it's actually was for one of my classmates. I'm a pastor here in my hometown, so I knew the person well. He's a young man who died leaving um, his family and his young kids. And the grief that day was just so palpable. You could, you could feel it in the air. And I was watching their pastor. His name is Bishop Bobby Sanders, uh, a mentor of mine. And I was curious of how he was going to handle this grief and just the feeling in the room. It was hard for people to even engage the worship service. And what he did, Pat, is... He just stood there, and finally, in a moment of quiet, he just began to speak the name of Jesus. He said it over and over. He said, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I know he was doing it for the gathered, um, the gathered congregation that day, but I was back in the back of the sanctuary, and when he began to speak the name of Jesus, it just kind of, I felt like it pushed me back up against the back wall. Uh, God grabbed my heart just with the simple name of Jesus, and I realized um, that a desperation for him Jesus alone, um, Jesus as Lord, Jesus as our Savior, that is the thing, that's the initial place that will help us deal with the pain in our life. Uh, sometimes I think we're tempted to create drama to get attention for ourselves, but what desperation does is it, it helps us acknowledge our own weakness. Uh, Paul says uh, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, he says that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, so when we become desperate before Him, you know, in that weak place, start boasting in our weaknesses, 
we actually begin to experience the power of God. My guest, Jacob Armstrong, the book, Breaking Open. The show, the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. The call letters, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back with Jacob. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Uh, Jacob Armstrong's book is out, Breaking Open, Jacob, topic five. You call it clarity, not certainty. What's that about? Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, this is one of my favorites and uh, maybe one of the ones that I need to do the best explanation on because certainty is not a bad thing. So, again, the, the chapter is called Clarity, Not Certainty. And breaking open, this, this experience that we're talking about where we all face breaking moments, where we could break down, but instead uh, God's calling us to something more arising up. Breaking open often means being certain about less things, but getting a clarity for life, a clarity for what God is calling us to. So in a time when people seem really certain about a lot of things, and again, there's some things I'm certain about, but, but when we're in the breaking moment, there are going to be things that we can't quite figure out that are hard to understand that we can't be certain about. I had a young woman in my church visit me recently. Her name was Charlotte, and Charlotte um, had been crying for about six straight weeks. Her oldest sister, who was a young woman, had died. Uh, it had been a long illness, and we were all brokenhearted about it. And Charlotte had been one of those people in our church. She just reminds me of Jesus. Uh, her whole family seems to just kind of have the, the, the spirit, the fragrance of Christ around them. So to see this woman who knows Jesus so uh, closely be hurting so badly. Um, it caught my attention to see that what she was saying is, Pastor, uh, she was saying to me, Pastor Jacob, there's some things I'm struggling with, some things that I'm not as certain about as I was before. Well, that's a normal thing when you're dealing with grief and loss, unexpected illness in a young person. And as I walked with Charlotte, I saw her go through that grief, and she's still in it, but I saw her um, move not necessarily to a place of certainty about why her sister died and why these things had to happen, but to a place of clarity. Clarity meaning that she could see more clearly who God was and that God was with her. In the book of Isaiah, uh, it it says, uh, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And what Isaiah is saying there, uh, his prophecy from God, is that God's ways are higher than our ways. God's not always going to do things that make sense to us, but God's Word will accomplish God's desires and purposes. So certainty in life, if you think about it, when we want to be certain, we want to have the answer to the next question. Well, we don't always have it. Clarity, though, is about finding confidence to take the next step. So you might not always have the answer to the question, but with God, you can have confidence to make, take the next step. Certainty is kind of, uh, we're trying to hold real tightly. Um, and again, in breaking moments, um, what we're probably going to do is loosen our grip. And clarity involves loosening a bit. Breaking open leads to clarity, probably less, um, less certainty. And I think about like with my kids, uh, I have three little girls. They're not as little anymore. Um, but with my girls, there are things that I wish that I could control, right? Well, I can't control their every breath in and their every breath out. 
uh, one of my daughters right now has a heart condition that we're dealing with. I can't control her heartbeat, um, but I can have confidence in God and know that I can make, take the next step with him. So clarity, not certainty. Uh, Jacob, uh, topic number six is called holiness, not haughtiness. Uh, tell us more. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Uh, haughtiness, I know, is not a word that we use all that often. Um, but haughtiness is just being, um, you know, uh, arrogant, right? Haughtiness is, is something where you think that you know better than someone else. Uh, but it really means you think you're superior to someone else. And in the church, uh, those of us who walk with Jesus, we're not really being called to a haughtiness. What we see, especially with the people who encounter Jesus, a haughtiness ends up condemning other people. Um, and what God is calling us more to than haughtiness is actually holiness. Now, holiness, I know, is not a word uh, that we talk about that much either, but it's an important word, an important word to rediscover. My church uh, comes out of the uh, Wesleyan tradition. John Wesley, uh, who was an Anglican priest, started the Methodist movement in America. And holiness of heart and life was a very important part of that revival movement, meaning that we would be willing uh, to do whatever God called us to do. Holiness can sound like a scary thing, like I could never live up to that. But what holiness really is is that God has set us apart, set us apart for something important, something um, sacred, uh, something that involves His work. And so um, we would be willing to change our whole lives um, to be holy before God. Uh, There's a lot of condemnation going on right now. Uh, Condemnation is something that happens outside of Jesus. Jesus said that He came not to condemn. So when we are not with Jesus or outside of Jesus, there is condemnation. But in Jesus, well, Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set us free. So there's some really good news in the gospel, of course, uh, but it's found when we are willing to allow ourselves to be set apart in a holy way, not to be haughty, not to think that we have it all figured out or that we're superior to others. And it's in there that we kind of get into that more and better life that Jesus has offered to us. So, yeah, that's what I mean by haughtiness, uh, holiness, not haughtiness. Jacob, now explain topic seven, vulnerability, not capability. (laughs) Yeah, well, we all want to be capable, and God has gifted us all with different capabilities, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I'm not discounting capabilities. But when you're in those breaking moments, What's going to be more important than you being capable, you being able to get it done, is for you to be vulnerable, for you to be open. So we talked earlier about breathing and crying. Uh, when I was born, shortly after I was born, Pat, I, uh, I had asthma and I had trouble breathing. So as an infant, I had to go back into the hospital. And my mom said that, the, the, that when I was laying in the crib in our, in our house, she would know that I needed help because I would have this gasp for air, you know, I would... Uh, I would be struggling to breathe. But she said, after I got better, so after I had the treatment that I had, I needed, I would still have that gas for air, that noise. And what I was doing was, was calling for my mom. <laughs> I figured out that she would come get me when I did that. Um, and, and so that's a vulnerability that a baby can have with a mother. And, and God is actually calling us to a similar kind of, of vulnerability with him and with other people that we would be willing to admit where we're feeling like we don't have enough, that we would be vulnerable, and in that we find more 
connection. Joshua, when he was called after Moses had died to lead the people in the promised land, we can tell that he was really afraid. <laughs> if he'd been able to gasp like I could as a baby, he might have had a cry for help like that. But God says to him three times, be strong and courageous. Now, it's my contention, if God has to say something to you three times, it probably means Joshua was not feeling strong and courageous. But God speaks into him and his vulnerability. Uh, really, God gives him the capability to do what he's called to do. So that chapter is really just about us not striving to be more and more capable, um, but to live into the promises of God, we need to be vulnerable. So the promises given to Joshua was, was I'll give you every place where you set your foot, no one will be able to stand against you. And then God, the best one, God says, I'm not going anywhere. That's the same promises God has for you today, those of you who are listening. God is not going anywhere. And it's in our vulnerability that we admit we need God uh, and, and not our capability. Jacob, we've got one more. Miracles, not manipulation. Yeah, this is the best part. Um, and what I mean by manipulation is, uh, something that is normal to humans is we sort we try to manipulate our life to go the way that we would want it to go to kind of you know get the things we want. And as someone who, you know any of us who've lost more than a few years know you can't always manipulate your life to get what you want. But what happens with God when we open ourselves up to Him is we actually get to see miracles, things that God can do with God's power that we can't do on our own. And what I've learned is that it's always way better to be stepping into the realm where you're seeing what God can do in God's power and simply what you can uh, manipulate. Over and over and over, I've seen with the folks who are go through difficult things, heartbreaking things, grief and loss, waiting and mystery. We see in those places that God can still do what God can do. I believe in miracles. I believe that God can do all things. I don't always know how to understand them, or I can't tell you when and how they're going to happen, but an openness to that gives us the eyes to see the miracles. My guest has been Jacob Armstrong. The book, Breaking Open, How Your Pain Becomes the Path to Living Again. We've got more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us here at AM 990. And FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Uh, uh, Jacob Armstrong, our guest in that first segment from his uh, church in the Nashville, Tennessee area. Well, we keep going west. Dr. Allison Cook is with us. She's in Sheridan, Wyoming, as we speak. Her her book is out, The Best of You, uh, Break Free from Painful Patterns. Mend your past. Discover your true self in God. Allison, welcome to Orlando. It's sure nice to meet you. Oh, it's wonderful to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, What's the book about? book is exactly what that subtitle says. It is a walk, kind of like a faith-based therapy 101, what I think probably every human on this planet needs to know about how to heal, how to forge healthy relationships, and how to become the person God made us to become. Allison Cook has integrated faith and psychology 
to help more than 50,000 women reclaim their confidence, find their purpose, and enjoy healthy relationships. Allison, how does faith and psychology work together? How does that combine? Yeah, that is the heart of my work. I started out, you know, a, a lifelong believer, grew up in a Christian family, uh, loved God, uh, loved the, the Bible, c- continued to love God and love the Bible, but I had this draw to understand uh, uh, the, the soul, right, the, 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 per- the people, the beings that God made us to be. And so that's why I went in to study. I did my master's in counseling at, at a seminary and then went on to do Ph.D. work in psychology and Every, everything that I did, I was like, how can we understand the human soul if we don't understand the God who made it? And, and simultaneously, you know, how, the more I understand myself, the more I understand God. This is what, uh, you know, the saints have been saying for, Augustine talked about this, Calvin talked about this, all the saints write about these two things go hand in hand. The more I know myself, the more I need God. The more I know God, the more I see myself, the both the best and the worst of me, more clearly. So I just always couldn't, I never understood why these two things got sort of separated. To me, they've always gone hand in hand. And I've, I've loved, um, you know, just in my counseling practice, in my writing, kind of bringing together biblical concepts with concepts from psychology that in so many ways go hand in hand. Allison, um, in helping women reclaim their confidence, finding their purpose, enjoy healthy relationships, are are those struggles with uh, many, many women? You know, I see often women coming into my office, uh, coming into my practice, into the many places where I walk and saying things like, you know, I, I have a strong faith. I know and love God but I'm emotionally struggling. I'm overwhelmed. I'm hurting. I'm um, being taken advantage of by other people. How do I live out my faith without letting other people get the best of me, which is where the title of my book came from, you know? And so I go through things like, what does it really mean to turn the other cheek? Does that mean I need to take does that mean I need to let other people take advantage of me? What does it mean that we're to die to ourselves? Sometimes as women in particular, we're, that doesn't necessarily mean dying to the God-given best parts of who we are. That might mean dying to a tendency to want to please other people. It might mean dying to a tendency to want to play small. You know, and so I, a lot of times with women, what I see is there's these messages that we've internalized where we're already bending over backwards more than God wants us to, or in ways that isn't healthy for us, or in ways that God isn't calling us to. And so how do we learn what it means to become the wholehearted women God wants us to become? Allison, um, I've got seven questions here. Uh, the, the first one is, why don't I know what I want? Ex- explain that. I think so many. I call it in the book a cocktail of codependency. And this this affects men as well, but so many women, there are three things that I go through in the book that explain why it's so hard for us to know what we want. Uh, One of those things are some of our childhood wounds, right? We, We weren't taught how to, especially as women, but we weren't taught that it's okay 
to say, yes, I like that, or no, I'm sorry, that's not what I want. We weren't, we were taught um, to, and then this also comes in with the cultural conditioning, we were taught to set aside our own needs, our own wants, for the sake of other people. Now, again, this isn't all bad, but it goes to an extreme, right? Jesus said to love others. So what he's implying, we first of all love God, then we love others as ourselves. There's an implication there that we understand how to honor ourselves. We understand how to care for ourselves. That most women are not taught, right? We focus on the others part, and that's beautiful, and I never want to take that away. We want to focus on others. But we can't focus on others to the extent that we begin to betray or harm or injure our own selves. And I just see that time and time again in women. So I go threefold this cocktail of codependency where women have been taught not to honor ourselves, and in fact, in many ways, to harm or reject ourselves in a way that I don't believe honors God or is what God is calling us to. Uh, Question number two, how do I find my voice? Yeah, again, this is this process of learning, and I, I, I very clearly in the book, we want to honor other people. We want to be empathetic. We want to be compassionate to other people. But we also have to learn to f- discover our own preferences, our own needs, our own wants, and begin to state them and bring them into our relationships with other people, with in our friendships, in our marriages, even with our children. God didn't, I would say, God didn't design us to be doormats. <laughs> you know, that's not what God's intention is. And so I walk you through a process. There's six layers to finding your voice. It starts with reconnecting to your body. It starts with, secondly, learning the voice of shame. There's so many shaming voices that we have to learn to identify because that comes from the enemy. That's not the voice of God. So we part of le- finding your voice is learning what voices not to listen to. One of those is the voice of shame. It's finding the voice of our what psychologists uh, uh, psychiatrists call our window of tolerance. This this and this is kind of gets into the voice of our body where we are outside of our capacity. We're, we're we're exhausted. Well, that's a voice. That's a way in which our body is telling us, you're exhausted. You can no longer say yes. You have to start learning to set wise limits. Our body give us, gives us cues that we have to learn to honor. And it's really hard. It's a, it's a new muscle we have to develop to say, you know what? I want to do those six things that people are asking me to do, but my body's telling me I'm done. I'm done for the day. I have to stop. And that's the way that I honor God when I learn to honor that voice, that voice of anxiety inside that says, if I do this thing, I'm taking myself out of my window of tolerance. I'm pushing myself beyond my God-given limits. I actually have to rest today. So those are just a couple of ways that I teach women how to find and listen to their God-given voice, these cues that God built into us in the way that he designed our souls and our bodies. Dr. Allison Cook is with us. We're talking about her book. The best of you. Uh, Here's topic number three for you, Allison. How do I get them to change? (laughs) 
it's a it's a common question that I hear, and you're 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 going right through every chapter of the book, which are these common questions that I get as women come into my office. Um, you know, we we would love to get our our mom to change. We would love to get our spouse to change. We would love to get our kids to change. You know, and the answer to the question is tongue in cheek, right? We can't get someone else to change, but what we can do is learn to ask for what we need and want in ways that are healthy, in ways that are constructive. We can learn to have courageous conversations. We can learn how to speak up for what we need, and we can learn how to respond to people with our own healthy, wise limits. And so it won't change anybody else, but we can learn to insert ourselves and our own limits into conversations. And I walk you through a very step-by-step process of first figuring out what's the deeper thing I need. So it's not so much that I need my mom to get off my back, right, to stop guilt-tripping me. It's not so much that I need my spouse to stop criticizing me. You know, we sort of, that's what we want. That's how it shows up. Like, I just need someone to stop criticizing me, right? But where we go is, what do I actually need? What I need is encouragement. What I need is someone telling me, you did a good job today, right? What I need is seven affirmations for every two weeks, you know? And this is all science-based, research-based. Says we, we, you know, one criticism, it takes about, you know, it takes ex- exponentially fold of praise. We share that criticism far louder. And so we can learn ways of communicating to our spouse to say, listen, I'm open for one constructive, you know, feedback from you today, but I need it to come between a compliment sandwich, you know? And we can say it with playfulness. We can learn to say these things well so that we're not picking a fight, so that we're not putting the other person on the defense, but so that we're really genuinely getting what we actually need. Dr. Allison Cook is our guest. Here's the next topic, number four. What if other people respond with anger, blame, or a guilt trip? (laughs) And they do sometimes, right? It's not so easy as to just say to the people we love, you know, could you please give me a little bit more encouragement? Or I prefer if you not manipulate me today, right? So it's not always that easy. A lot of times we bump into these toxic strategies that other people have learned to use. And we, I, I go through, again, as, this is such a practical guide. It's a step-by-step process. I give you scripts of what you can say and what you can do. And the tip that I'll, I'll, I'll offer those who are listening today, um, one of the things I talk about is a spectrum of toxicity. You know, very few people are completely toxic. At the same time, very few people are None of us are 100% healthy. We are all works in progress. So we have to figure out where this behavior lies on a spectrum. And can we communicate what we need with this person? Can we say in that very healthy way, hey, can we talk about this? Here's something I need. And if we can, they're on the healthy side of that spectrum, and there are ways to make that conversation go better that I walk you through. But here's the thing. Sometimes people are operating out of the worst of who they are right? And that's just the reality. And when someone's on that side of the spectrum, on the more toxic side of the spectrum, here's the tip that I want you to know, I want your listeners to know today. 
actions often speak louder than words. We're not going to get someone always to understand us, and that's painful. But we can let our actions speak, and we can start to how to extract ourselves from conversations that just we're never going to win. We're never going to get the other person to understand or see it our way. And so we can learn how to recognize those cues and extract ourselves and walk away so that we're no longer being harmed by those tactics. Now, topic five, how do I find people who get me? <laughs> yeah, right. And so this is part of the deal with that spectrum of toxicity. You know, we start to realize, man, these these folks, and, and again, there's different levels. This is a nuanced conversation. There might be a parent that really uses some guilt-tripping strategies, some manipulation, um, some of these buzzy words like gaslighting. I talk about some of, some of what does that really mean, where someone's kind of trying to to constantly get you to doubt yourself, right? We start to go, man, I've got to spend less time with that, that person. I need to use some of these neutralizing tactics where maybe I use email, you know, maybe I use the buddy system with that person. Then to get to your question, the next question is, but how do I bring in the people who bring out the best of me? How do I bring in the people who help me become more of the person God wants me to be? So I go through seven red flags of what to kind of turn away from, but then seven things to look for in healthy relationships. And it starts with, again, this question, what do I actually want? What do I like? What are my preferences? What brings out the best of me? Am I someone who loves, um, just for example, am I somebody who loves hiking? I'm here in the mountains of Wyoming. You know, this brings out the best of me, getting out in nature, being in the mountains, being outside. So where are the people who are doing that? Where are the people who want to do that with me? And then I start to get proactive, and I start to look for those people. I say, hey, man, you're someone who loves to take your walk, your dog, for a walk every day. Allison Cook is our guest. Uh, we got another segment with Allison. Stay with us because we've got more to talk about. The best of you. Uh, I'm Pat Williams. It's the Saturday Power Hour. And this is AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Dr. Al- <clears throat> Dr. Allison Cook is in Sheridan, Wyoming. She's our guest. We're talking about her book, The Best of You. Uh, Allison, uh, on this whole uh, the, this whole bit about how do I find people who get me, uh, is there more you need to offer us uh, before we interrupted you a minute ago? No, just you know, that's exactly. I can get really excited about these topics and. Just, just how some of the simplest things of figuring out what we actually want, that's how we begin to pull in the people who bring out the best of us. Let's go to um, question number six. Why doesn't God just fix everything? A million-dollar question, right? And if I had the answer to that, I'd, you know, I think that the, the best minds of biblical scholars and theologians have argued this for 
centuries. Um, and the, the truth is, you know, I just, so many people come into my office with so many pains, so much pain, so many deep wounds, they've been hurt. And I don't know always why God allows these things to happen. You know, I would be, again, like I said, many, many people have, have, have tried to answer this question for years. But what I do know and what I walk you through and what I want every listener to know is that no matter what pain you've been through, God goes with you into that pain. God loves you. God is for you. God is a God of healing. God wants to bring healing to the deepest, darkest areas of our lives where we've been hurt. And I don't know why God allowed these hard things to happen to you. You know, I can, and I can hypothesize if you're in my office, we can talk about that. But what I do know is God wants to, is a God of healing. And God wants to bring more goodness, more peace, more healing, more of the fruit of the Spirit into your life as you engage this process of healing with God. And this is one of my favorite things that I do, favorite part of my work, favorite chapter in the book, is this area of healing the wounds where we've been hurt, even by other members of God's family, even when we've been hurt by church communities, even when we've been hurt in the name of God. I believe that is holy ground, and that is where God wants to bring healing the most and will lead you through a process of learning who the real God is, who, through biblical, you know, through all these different passages of scriptures, reveals to you that He is a God of love, He is a God who's for you, He is a God of, of justice, of mercy, um, He is a God who will meet you in every pain, that those are the parts of us that He longs to enter into with the reality of who Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Alice, and here's a big question, question number seven. How do I know when things will be better? Yeah, yeah, and I I like to say I love this, and I've learned this in my own life. It's when we know what it's like to live at peace with ourselves, When we know ourselves and we know our areas of pain, we know our our areas of brokenness, we know where we can, you know, the best, we can bump into the worst of ourselves. You know, God knows those parts of us. None of that is a surprise to God. And as we get to know, we face those parts of ourselves honestly, without shame, we learn what it's like to live at peace with ourselves. And that is a beautiful place. To be that is there that is a that that is where we discover the best of who we are. It's not perfection. We won't we won't arrive at perfection this side of eternity, but we can arrive at a place where we know who we are. We know where we've come from. We know where our broken parts are. We know where we need still need to heal, and we know what that is. God knows what that is, and there's freedom in that. God's perfect peace comes to reside in us. And we find the freedom that we find in Galatians 5.22 and the fruit of the Spirit. We learn, so often we, we apply that passage to how we treat other people, but the truth is we learn to apply peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control toward ourselves. We learn to show ourselves kindness, too. Just as, and, and then from that well, those qualities flow out toward other people and toward the world around us. Allison, you leave us with a challenge here. You don't have to stay stuck, overwhelmed, or defeated. The best of you is right around the corner. 
Discover the life that God intended for you to enjoy. Uh, can you expand on that? Yeah, and I believe it's kind of what I was just saying, that the life that God intended for us to enjoy gets back to Jesus' commandment. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, right? That's a holistic love. That's mind, body, heart, and spirit, right? And to love your neighbor, love others as yourself, and that yourself, peace, matters as you learn how to treat yourself with kindness, with gentleness, learn to live at peace with yourself, learn what it's like to show patience toward yourself, learn what it's like to be faithful to yourself, not to overextend yourself, not to betray yourself. You learn how to treat other people that way too. We treat others as we treat ourselves, and I love that way of what's changed my life and what, how I've learned to work with women these past 20 years is we learn to apply those truths to our own souls before God. And that's when we begin to bring healing power to the lives of everyone around us and to this world. We bring more of Jesus into this world as we bring more and more of Jesus into the parts of our own souls that need his love the most. Allison, who's it easier to work with, men or women? <laughs> different, just different. You know, um, I I have a great. I have worked dedicated most of my practice to working with women, but I love you know I love it when they bring in their spouses or they want to talk to me about their sons or they bring in a family and and man, I I love both the. I think God created men and women so beautifully, um, and and I really do enjoy both. I just have have much more practice and experience working with women. What's next for you? You've written this book, uh, which is going to have an impact. Are you a writer at heart? <laughs> both writer, teacher, um, and therapist. Those are the three things that I love. So. Um, I've loved this opportunity after um, being in practice for so many years, getting to write about it. Uh, I've started doing some podcasting where I get to teach a little bit. I, what I've noticed is there's so much right now that we're learning, um, and especially Christians. There's a lot of new kind of, I call them psychology buzzwords that everybody's talking about, we're seeing about, we're thinking about, how do we integrate those with my faith? You know, and I, I get these questions all the time from people, you know, it's questions like, you know, okay, so I learn about trauma. Well, well, what is that? You know, is it trauma or is it sin? You know, you know, and, and what's the difference? And am I still accountable for my behaviors, even though I've learned that I've been wounded, right? And these are the questions I love to dig into and to answer. So what's next for me is more of all of the above, more of being a therapist, more of being a writer, more of speaking into these spaces. I, um, I'm already working on another book that gets that even deeper into some of these questions, bringing these two um, facets of faith and this whole kind of new thing we're learning about in these these last few decades about the impact of wounds, the impact of trauma. And I I don't believe any of this is outside. God knows us. God designed our souls to heal. He understands all of this. And we're just kind of learning to catch up and learning to um, bring all of who we are into this beautiful life that God has for us. So all of the above. Allison, one final question. What have you found with women is the greatest struggle they seem to be having in their marriages? 
Great question. You know, I think as women are learning to find their voice, I think culturally there's sort of a pendulum, right, where we can go to an extreme. Um, and that's why it was important for us in the subtitle of the book to say true self in God, right? And so I think for women in their marriages, as we're learning to find our voices, it's not a my way or the highway, right? We don't want to overcorrect. We want to learn to find our voices and, and, and stand, you know, be the woman that God wants us to become and also do that in a healthy way because God designed us for healthy relationships, right? It's not just me against the world. It's how do I find my voice and also honor the voice of my spouse, of my partner. Men have to learn this too. Men have to learn, oh, wait a minute, as my wife learns to find her voice and express more of our needs. It's not just, it's not her way or my way. It's, this is really cool. How do we negotiate together a beautiful partnership where both of us are being honored because we're better together, right? It's not her way or my way. It's how do we negotiate together. So I would say that's true for both men and women. It's how do we learn to bring our voices together to create an even more beautiful symphony, right, with the power of the Holy Spirit being that third part of that triad. Allison Cook has been our guest. Folks, thanks for joining us here uh, for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We have a wrap-up right after this. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Folks, we're so glad that you had an hour to spend with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Jacob Armstrong from Mount Juliet, Tennessee, was our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, Breaking Open, How Your Pain Becomes the Path to Living Again. And then Dr. Allison Cook author of The Best of You, Break Free from Painful Patterns, Mend Your Past, and Discover Your True Self in God. Uh, I do want to mention that we have a new book out. Um, My friend Mark Atterbury and I have teamed up to write Every Day is Game Day. It's a 365-day devotional, all sports stories, and then leading into the devotional segment. So if you uh, love sports and love the Lord, uh, you'll be pleased with this book. Go up to Amazon and check it out. Well, we'll see you next weekend on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. See you next weekend. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.